get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney brought to you by the AND Campaign. Justin, how are you this week? I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. From a sports fan um, position, I, it was it was a rough weekend, man. Um, as you know, I'm a Laker hater. And uh, a lot of the folks who I was hoping would, you know, represent my my side just just failed. So uh, the Houston Rockets looked like trash. Uh, the Clippers couldn't finish off the Nuggets. So, yeah, it was a long weekend, but I did get to see some college football. So that made it a little bit better. Uh, but it looks like I don't know that there's going to be anything to stop the Lakers, man. I may just have to let it go. Well, you know, if you're looking for a ray of sunshine, a ray of hope, Justin, uh, I don't know if you caught it, but the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl campaign got its kickoff this past Sunday, and we took uh, we took pretty good care of the New York Jets. We'll take on Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins next week. We should be off to a good 2-0 and start on our 16-0 and season. Uh, and so, you know, you're, you're welcome anytime to come over uh, to, to be a part of the Bills Mafia. Uh, so that, that's a standing invitation, uh, especially, you know, if, you, if, if, if your teams are letting you down. Um, you know, circle circle the wagons, man. Yes. Somehow I knew that was coming. I, I'll pass on that, but I appreciate it. Stefan Diggs looked good. He looked good. He was running some sharp routes. I was happy about it. But, uh, yeah, so I, 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 was, I was doing well. You know, uh, I've been watching professional football is back uh, because uh, soccer, uh, uh, European football, you know, got – the seat last season got pushed back because of COVID. Um, you know, the season basically just ended three, four weeks ago, uh, and it picks back up again next week. So my weekends are going to be full. Of course, I'll, I'll be I'll be paying attention to my family too, but uh, but they're going to have to pay attention to to the games uh, <laughs> as well. So <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Hey, so we we have quite a bit to get to uh, this week. Well, f- actually, first, uh, Justin, um, I, I know you you have some some events coming up, uh, and this this episode will air for folks to have some time. So, do you want to tell folks about some some of the some of the uh, speaking engagements you have coming up that they they might be able to tune into? Yeah, sure. Uh, so on Thursday night. I will be um, speaking at the I'll be the keynote speaker uh, for the uh, Denver Institute of Faith and Works. And so I'm looking forward to that. I'll be speaking on neighborly love. Uh, And then both Mm. of us will be at uh, Influencers 2020. I think that's being live streamed, too, on Saturday. At least I know I'm speaking on Saturday. Uh, Yeah. yeah, So that's two of them. man. it's it's a long week. But, yeah, I hope uh, some of y'all can tune in. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And that Denver events. I hope folks will tune in there. Uh, uh, it, it should be it should be really really special. Um, so so yeah, and then and then Richmond uh, uh, should be should be great as well. Um, 
Well, like I was saying, we have, and that's uh, that's at Hill City Church in Richmond. So folks can look up that conference there, and there will be a bunch of bunch of speakers in addition to Justin and I. I think David Bailey will be speaking, and a, a few other friends. Um, Rocka, I think there's yeah three. Oh, show, yeah. Oh, hey, we're we're representing. That's amazing. Uh, so yeah, so that'll be great. Well, we have quite a bit to get to this episode. Wanted to start uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, Two L.A. police officers uh, recovering in the hospital. I saw reports just before we hopped on that that, uh, one of the officers just got out of surgery this morning. Folks are hopeful they'll make it through. But but two L.A. police officers are recovering in the hospital after being shot in what uh, local police are calling an ambush. Some of y'all may have seen the video, though I, you know, caution you before searching it out. A... A uh, man basically just walked up to a police car um, and and opened fire um, before uh, you know fleeing the scene and uh, shot both officers, a 31 year old woman and a 24 year old man. Uh, the sheriff, the LA uh, County Sheriff Villanueva, said that this is a this is just a somber reminder that this is a dangerous job. Actions actions, words have consequences, and our job does not get easier because people don't like law enforcement. So that was the L.A. Sheriff's uh, chosen response uh, here. Uh, U.S. President Trump uh, suggested at a campaign rally that those who uh, uh, he he tweeted, quote, from the president of the United States, animals uh, uh, that must be hit hard um, regarding to the footage. Uh, Joe Biden said he was praying for the officers to recover. Uh, Joe Biden tweeting, this cold-blooded shooting is unconscionable and the perpetrator must be brought to justice. Violence of any kind is wrong. Those who commit it should be caught and punished. Uh, Justin, do you believe this is, uh, you know, some some are saying this is an inevitable uh, sort of consequence of uh uh, on you know, speaking generally here on the left, some are saying this this was an inevitable consequence of police brutality and police misconduct. On the right, people are saying this was an inevitable outcome of sort of the protests that we've been seeing and any sort of negative uh, rhetoric surrounding police. Do you buy into either of those narratives, or do you think something else is going on here? Absolutely not. Uh, I don't buy into that at all. Um, People make choices, and I think it's irresponsible to say that this has to happen. I think that's both ways of uh, both sides' way of saying we're justified in, in what we do and what we say, um, and it's not justified. Uh, the fact of the matter is, and I, and I certainly want to give prayers to the families of the deputies who were shot. I pray that they make a full recovery. Um, the only person that's directly responsible for this shooting is the person who pulled the trigger, uh, but I do think it's incumbent upon all of us to do what we can to diffuse the tension. And and those comments that you just noted don't necessarily justify one side or the other, but they take a step towards doing that. Um, And I think that is extremely dangerous. Um, I would be lying if I said that I was a pacifist. I don't go so far as to say that I'm a pacifist, but I am very concerned about the idea that violence is an inevitable response to this sociopolitical moment. 
again, it's not a justification, but you see how it's creeping towards that, right? It's it's kind of yeah. slowly yeah, creeping yeah, yeah. deeper and deeper into our American culture. And anybody who said that needs to be called out uh, right. because that's they're they're really setting the stage for more things like this to happen. Well, if you guys stop, you know, if, if, in, until there's absolutely no problems with police, well, then you might just get, you know, policemen might just get shot. Or until, you know, you don't talk about police reform anymore and act like everything's perfect and that black men aren't getting killed out the streets, then, you know, then, then you know, this is what's going to happen. That's ridiculous. People make decisions and we need to do our best to stop that. I think we need to be explicit and bold about condemning violence in the streets, no matter which side it comes from. Uh, we need to support our leaders when they take just actions uh, to stop this violence uh, on, on both ends. Um and we have to understand that they can't just flip a switch and do that, that although our leaders are responsible for it, so are we by the messaging that we put out there. Um, you know, this is hard. And so we have to support leaders when they take strong and thoughtful actions to get this stuff under control. But we bear some response, not, not responsibility for the shooting, but some responsibility to be uh, constructive in how we talk about it and to be responsible in how we talk about it. Now, keep in mind that we're talking about people's lives. Uh, It's bigger than just winning a debate or it's bigger than just maintaining this perfect narrative. Michael, you know that I wrote an article about how us trying to maintain these perfect narratives and never take responsibility for anything somebody, one of our allies does, is really killing discourse because none of us have any credibility. And those comments that you just mentioned, I think that's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, unjust deaths at the hands of people who are in authority are particularly disheartening. I, I completely understand that. But whether it's um, that or whether it's intercommunity violence, a death is a death, right? Somebody doesn't come back to life just because they didn't get shot by a police officer. A death is a death and it's not okay. Uh, those, those deaths are of no lesser value. So some of those arguments that we make, again, to completely absolve anything that's happening in our, our communities, anything that is happening among people in our ideological tribe is really hurting the conversation. So I think we should get rid of all the what about ism when somebody talks about, you know, uh, uh, an unjust police shooting. Let's talk about that. You don't automatically have to start talking about black on black crime or if, if our police officer gets shot. You don't automatically have to talk about everything else because that is not justified. Um, and if we're going to if we're going to go forward on the basis that until everything's perfect and the way we want it, somebody might just get shot. Then we're in for a we're in for a a, um, a really tough future. And so I hope people are a little more responsible in how they do it. I'm surprised at how many mainstream folks uh, are okay with saying stuff like that. Yeah, I I, I completely agree, Justin. And, and just to <sighs> that this is just so terribly frustrating because right so. First of all, this is a 31-year-old and 24-year-old cop, uh, police officers doing nothing at the time but sitting in their in their car. So I, I just don't want to. I just don't want to hear from folks this. Uh, you you know they're a part of a machine, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Like this was a cold-blooded uh, shooting, and we we pray for for their for their health and that they they make it out of this. Uh, the, the 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 intent was to shoot them at at, at close range. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the second thing I'd say is it, it's been interesting. You, you know, so uh, 
there's been, I think, a, a generally helpful um, insistence on not conflating peaceful protesters with rioters and not conflating uh, those who support Black Lives Matter with various organizations. And yet I've been it's been really confounding to see some of the uh, some folks on the left invoke and sort of try and protect sort of the 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 progress that they see happening as like a first reaction to the shooting of two officers in in uh, in other words you're exactly right justin two officers were shot in cold blood what what does that have to do with with what with the protests that we've seen in, in other words by by trying to guard your own narrative you're actually conceding but by feeling like you need to guard your own narrative in this instance, you're actually conceding exactly what your most virulent political opponents have been saying all along, which is which is that like uh, uh, quote unquote these folks can't help but uh, call, uh, but uh, be violent. These folks can't help but shoot people. So so the choice is you know uh, uh, do we do we let violence reign in our streets or not? Now now my understanding was that uh, that. Uh, the response to that was, uh, no, the, no, the, let's separate out sort of Antifa or whatever from peaceful protests. Let's separate out the, the idea that, uh, that folks are uh, inherently predisposed to, uh, to, to violence. Uh, but you see what happens, and we'll talk about this later in the show. You see what happens when people get so wound up in a particular argument that they, they, they just can't step back and understand not just like what fights aren't worth having, but but what arguments are actually inconsistent with their deeper values. And so, yeah, so I, I just like to see folks, uh, it shouldn't be that difficult, condemn without caveat a cold-blooded shooting of two police officers and not feel like that implicates any arguments that you've been having yeah. about having a criminal justice system that is just because it because it doesn't like they're they're just they're just different things you can support police reforms and not justify two police officers being shot in cold cold blood it's only our crazy insane politics and online discourse that would even even like suggest that those two things are are at odds in any way yeah that's right everybody's trying to set up these ironclad arguments that regardless of what happened, you know, the other side is so bad that if you really think hardly about it, if you really think hard about it, everything we right. do is justified. Right? right. They're not saying that explicitly, but that's what they're trying to set up. It's so bad on the other side that any reaction from us is OK. Don't don't critique it because it was you know, we didn't have a choice. And let me yeah. just end by saying this. And, and I'm really going to push back on the left and the determinism on the left uh, right now. You know, when people say folks don't have a choice to do something, we know that if you live in poverty and if you you are struggling, you may be more likely to commit a crime or something like that. I think I think I get that. I understand that um, when you're in a desperate situ- situation, you may take more desperate measures. However, we need to limit that quite a bit because I want to say this, because most of the time when they're talking about this, they're talking about people in the black community. Most people in the black community, whether they are. Uh, poor or whether they're middle class or whatever are not criminals, right? Most of them are right. not going around shooting people. Most of them are not going around committing crimes. So be very careful with that determinism 
because mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think there's some supremacy in that determinism off top. And I want to say that for my yes. people. Most black people are not going around committing crimes and they are not going around shooting people. So let's stop yes. that. People make mm-hmm. choices. People have agency and it may make it harder. And we have to have compassion for those who are in tough situations and make bad decisions. We have to. But to pretend that everybody in that situation doesn't have a choice and we're all just going, you know, we're all just criminal because we're forced to be is a lie. And my, my community has more dignity than that. Yeah. All right. Let's let's uh, let's go to a break. When we get back, we're going to talk about uh, uh you know, we love we love Damon Linker. He has a new uh, op-ed out that we thought was well, worth discussing. Uh, the headline is "The True Election Day Nightmare Scenario," and so we'll we'll get to that after the break. This is the Church Politics Podcast. We're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. Uh, as I mentioned before the break, uh, Damon Linker at The Week wrote an article uh, with, the, uh, with the headline, The True Election Day Nightmare Scenario, where he lays out different ways he could see the election playing out. Several sort of nightmare scenarios. What would be kind of the favorable outcomes in terms of having a clear uh, decision and the least sort of Democratic strife, uh, in Linker's view, would be a uh, a big Biden win that couldn't be contested, and that sort of uh, claims of fraud would be uh, on their face absurd, even even to folks who didn't like the election outcome. It, he also says uh, a sort of replay of 2016, where Trump is solidly ahead in a number of key electoral college states. That gives him a clear, uh, clear lead in the electoral college, even if he loses the popular vote. But then Linker gets to uh, some, some uh, more, some nightmare scenarios, as he calls them, uh, referring to a recent column by David Brooks. Uh, th- this would look something like Trump being ahead on election night, declaring victory, but then his mail-in ballots are counted. Biden pulls ahead uh, and, uh, and Trump not accepting that result. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and he says, you know, we could have the potential of a of a military intervention. And we could talk about how plausible we think these outcomes are. But but that's a nightmare scenario, right? Like <laughs> Trump declares victory. Mail-in ballots are counted showing that Biden actually won. Trump refuses to leave office. Military has to intervene. That, that's that's definitely a nightmare scenario, whether you think it's plausible or not. Uh, and then and then Linker uh, just quickly offers a, a second way, which doesn't involve uh, the military, but uh, involves uh, robust and and basically the left refusing to accept Trump winning and the uncertainty that would be involved in the system. Uh, in that way. Justin, I think, um, you know, from a certain perspective, I think some preparation for various uh, outcomes is is helpful. I am especially grateful for those who are spending a lot of time not on sort of 
after election, though I think that's important, but those doing everything that they can to make sure that the democratic process and the civic process of voting works uh, in the lead up to the election so that we're minimizing on the front end uh, sort of uh, concerns about an, uh, an uncertain outcome or sort of untrustworthy process. Uh, what do you think the odds are um, and what do you think the real dangers are of some of these nightmare scenarios that, that Linker sort of uh, uh, play, plays out uh, in, in this article? Yeah, I don't know. I can't say that that nightmare scenario is likely. Um, that nightmare scenario is possible and it would be a nightmare. Right. I think it would be probably <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, just right. because I think it is going to because of covid. Right. And so we are talking about a little bit of a different circumstance than, you know, m- minus covid. I, I don't think, you know, with that crisis, I don't think that you're looking at the same type of uh, yeah. nightmare scenario. Because of COVID and because of the limitations on how some people will be able to vote, it does raise the likelihood, although it's not likely, that we could see a situation where on November 4th, nobody knows who won. Uh, to me, the longer something like that goes on with the votes coming in the mail and folks having to count them and all the stuff that's going on, the easier it's going to be for either side to question the election to claim voter fraud, to claim suppression or whatever, and, or, or it, for it to really happen. Right. Um, and so I think the crisis sets us up for the poss- a higher possibility of that. I don't think it's likely. I'm praying that it doesn't happen. Uh, and but we do. I think we do need to be vigilant and we need to be prepared and how we would respond to that. I, I thank God for folks like uh, Dr. Barbara Williams Skinner and many other people who are doing voter protection, who are getting out the yeah. vote. We're trying to make sure that people know their options. I want everybody to know their options. I want everybody to be safe. Um, and I'm just wondering what's the best way to go about that. Right. I think voter protection is great. I'm wondering how much voting by mail is necessary. Now, for those who are in situations where you don't want to take any chances, absolutely. You know, don't take any chances. Believe me, I'm not I'm not pressing that. But it seems like for most people, if you voted early at a time when there wasn't just a whole bunch of people there, it might be a better option than voting by mail. Um, and, and so there may be need to be some messaging to say, hey, if you're sick, if there's an issue, hey, absolutely vote by mail or have someone, you know, or have, you know, find a way to take that more directly to uh, the, the location early. But it seems like most people, if you if you go to the store, if you cover up, if you put your mask on, if you bring your hand sanitizer, it seems like if you voted early before Election Day, that may be the safest uh way to do it that helps us avoid this nightmare scenario. So that's just something that I'm thinking through. Um, But yeah, nobody wants to see that nightmare outcome. And uh, I'm just hoping that we can avoid it. I don't think it's likely, but because of COVID, it is possible. Yeah. And what you're saying sounds right to me. And just so, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, but you're, you're arguing, which again, I think makes sense that if you're able to vote early uh, in person, uh, or obviously vote the day of in person, though, as you noted, you know, we can expect lines might be longer and it might be, a, you know, a relatively less safe situation. What that means is that your votes will be counted and counted f- for election night. 
what we want to avoid is having millions and millions and millions of mail-in ballots that will be counted, will be a part of the democratic process, but the higher percentage of the total electorate that is mail-in, the less certain we are about the outcome of the election uh, because those mail-in ballots won't be due um, and different states may have different rules here. So, so I, I can't speak with sort of ultimate sort of certainty, but, but uh, my understanding is, you know, mail-in ballots can come in as long as they're postmarked by election date that they can be counted. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just a question mark, not a question mark on whether the vote will be counted, but it, it adds more uncertainty into and, and sort of extends the timeline that we need to uh, potentially determine a, a winner. And so, yeah, I mean, Justin, that makes sense. That makes sense to me, um, and, and I do wonder what kind of messaging we'll see uh, come out regarding that. Let's take a quick break, just so we could get a commercial in. We want to continue this conversation. Part of what Damon Linker's article gets at, and uh, Shadi Hamid at the Atlantic touched on this over the weekend as well. Specifically, his his uh, uh, he wrote an article uh, arguing that. Sort of while we've been, while there's been a whole lot of talk about whether Trump will, you know, accept defeat, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Shadi, I think with merit, says, eh, I wouldn't count the the left out uh, uh, of, you know, not accepting results if they don't go their way. So it will be interesting to see what, what kind of messaging comes out about the best way folks can vote to mitigate some of the problems that Linker and David Brooks and Shadi have been have been uh, have been pointing out. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to discuss the implications and we've just seen this debate uh, developing online and sort of with with written pieces over the last several weeks about what it means to take a side in our politics. There, there are some uh, some issues here that we hope we'll be able to clear up, and we'll we'll try and do that after the break. This is the Church Politics Podcast. What's going on, Ann Camp? We are back with the Church Politics Podcast, and now we're going to be talking about choosing a side. You know, with uh, the November 3rd election quickly approaching, we can tell that tensions are high and uh, people are really getting anxious. And that includes people in the Christian community. The conversation about how Christians should interact with political parties and what it means to choose a side is really an important ongoing conversation. Uh, and the Ann campaign cares about it. We have an entire chapter in our book about Christians uh, and political parties and the in compassion and conviction. So if you haven't got that book, you should pick it up because I think we really go in depth on what it means for Christians to interact with political parties, uh, where that uh, connection uh, begins and where it should end. Now, recently adding fuel on the fire of this conversation, John MacArthur said that faithful Christians, and I'm paraphrasing, will vote Republican, that faithful Christians will vote Republican on November 3rd. That was his statement. And a lot of people had a problem with it. Now, for those of you uh, who have been following the AND campaign for a while, you know that we are nonpartisan. 
We have Democrats. We have Republicans in this organization. We have independents and we have folks that are in the Solidarity Party. Uh, Our framework is one that prescribes principles. Uh, It does not prescribe a certain political party. Now, practically speaking, and I'll let Mike speak for himself on this, too, but Michael and I both see value in working within party politics, and we've both done so on a high level. So we get the value of that uh, for sure. Uh, We've also been really frank, I think, at the end campaign about the fact that we believe that Christians can be faithful or unfaithful in either party. Now, not everybody believes that, apparently. Like MacArthur, uh, we've heard some Christians say, hey, we need to stop the both sidesism. Uh, don't be indecisive. It's time to choose a side. Choose a side. The issues are too serious. We need to know where people stand. People need to know where we stand. And I, I get where people are coming from with that to a certain extent. But it's kind of an ambiguous statement, right? Uh, what do you mean by taking a side? Now, if you mean that Christians should vote and that we should take a clear position on issues like poverty, abortion, immigration and health care, then I completely agree with you. If that's why you what you mean by taking a side is that Christians should take a position on important issues and not be ambiguous or indecisive on those issues. And um, I agree with you. Uh, I, I get that. And sometimes those are tough issues. And so people are trying to figure out what you know, what they believe. But we should try to take positions on that. But sometimes, Michael, and and maybe somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like people are saying that Christians have to choose an ideological tribe or a political party and stick with it. Uh, Sometimes it seems like they're saying that someone is wishy-washy if they don't consistently defend and promote one party over the other. And there I would disagree, right? Um, For those who are actually saying that, I would have to ask them a few questions. And my first question would be this. Once someone chooses a side and it's kind of ride or die with that side, is that choice conditional or is that endorsement qualified? Right. So we saw John MacArthur didn't give a qualified endorsement. He just gave an unqualified endorsement. Is is that what you mean by taking a side? Next question is, what does one do when the side they chose goes in the wrong direction on an important issue like abortion or racial justice. What's their recourse? Are they stuck? Uh, Must they continue to promote that particular party? You see, I, I agree that parties are rarely the same or equivalent on any given issue. But the next question is, isn't it possible that both parties can be wrong on the same issue in different ways? Is it possible that the policies of both parties have failed the poor, that they've had their opportunities to do what they said they were going to do and they didn't do it? Is it possible that public education in many red and blue states is subpar? And if that's the truth, what side do you choose if that's the case? Wouldn't simply choosing a side and going along with one party or the other be wrong in that instance? What happens when both parties frame an issue wrongly or go to the extremes? And and that's kind of what I struggle with in this conversation, Michael. I just struggle to understand how you can be upset with someone who takes positions and is politically active, but refers to themselves as a centrist because both parties are wrong, ineffective or too extreme on a number of issues. In this polarized landscape, centrism makes a lot of sense as long as it's not indecisive. 
And I don't think it has to be indecisive. Right. The major right. problem right. right now is, as, as I see it, is that Christian, the major problem right now isn't that Christians aren't partisan enough, right? <laughs> the, the problem isn't that Christians aren't strident enough in their ideological positions. Uh, if that's what you're worried about, then trust me, you're good. You know, if, if, you, if you're worried that the problem in 2020 will be that Christians uh, are, are, aren't partisan enough, you'll be fine, believe me, right? Many of us have already pledged our kind of undying allegiance to our political affiliation. I just think it's a huge stretch to suggest that centrists are the problem in an extremely polarized moment. And I'll end with this. And here's where the inconsistency really lies to me, Michael. We rightly have a problem when Christians on the other side of the aisle go along with their party uncritically. Christian Democrats hate that some conservative Christians refuse to question or criticize Trump when it's obviously necessary. Christian Republicans are outraged that more politically left-leaning Christians haven't pushed back more against the Democrats' pro-choice agenda. They are rightfully upset about that. But should they really be upset? But should the people who are pushing this just-choose-a-side standard really be upset about that? Because the folks on the other side, they did just exactly what you told them. They chose a side. They chose a side based off one or two issues that concerned them most. Isn't that what we're telling these terrible moderates and these awful centrists to do? We've just got to be consistent. But I I really want to hear your point of view on this, Michael. What does it mean to choose a side and when is it okay, and when does that go too far? Yeah, so right. So, I mean, Justin, there's almost there are so many games that get played that's almost impossible to unpack all of them, Uh, you know, right? And so so much of this is about folks wanting people to talk about what they want them to talk about when they want them to talk about <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know um and so i i, I let, let me just make a, a a few comments one um th- th- this idea that if you're going to support a candidate or you're going to support a party um you can't say anything critical about them i think puts a sense of like self-importance on folks that I think I would just urge folks to be real cautious about. What I see is a lot of pastors and of sort of uh, uh, folks who aren't in politics treat themselves as if they were in politics. In other words, I understand it is part of the role of, for instance, President Trump's spokesperson to, even if they're a Christian, even if they'd say in, in private, you know, there are some things I disagree with. Well, you have a job to do. If you're you're with the party or with a candidate, you're not lacking integrity because you fail at every moment to point out what's wrong with, quote unquote, your side. Like your role is in your job description. What what bothers me is when you have folks who don't who aren't getting paid by any any political party, any candidate, uh, but act like they are (laughs) act like, oh, gosh, I I can't possibly sort of. let, let my guard down. I don't want to empower the other side. It's I'd like people to just step back. You're not empowering anybody by being honest. <laughs> uh, all right. Like just, just lower the, lower the temperature a bit. The second thing I'd say is often how I see these arguments played out is it, they're like time sensitive. So, right. So I, I can imagine like a response to what you're saying being like, Hey, we aren't talking about this all the time, you know? I, and, and this is what big parts of the left are saying now, right? Which is, uh, look, 
uh, on November 4th, the day after the election, we're going to turn the heat back on Biden. But until then, we're going to keep our mouth shut because we made the judgment that Biden has to win. Um, What I'd say to that is, uh, (laughs) uh, like, people see what you're doing. People see that you had critiques of Biden during the primary, for instance, and now all of a sudden those have evaporated. Not, Not just you aren't talking about them as much as you were before. That makes sense. There's not a primary anymore. But to, to see some of the same people who were saying Biden is unacceptable, uh, Biden has all these issues, now sort of crack down on people who raise the same concerns that they were raising a couple of months ago, I, I think is is over over the top. Here's what I would say, um, and a little bit of, um, we want to be careful that we aren't staking too much of our identity in our politics, no matter what it is. And so no matter what our politics is. And so we, we, we certainly don't want to, um, we certainly don't want to uh, seed our uh, stake, our uh, identity in how great of a Democrat or how great of a Republican we are. We also don't want to sort of stake our identity in this sense that like, we're the only ones who get it. You know, I, I, I'm a political independent because neither side is good enough for me. Uh, and, and we want to be careful and cautious sort of on, on that side as well. And what, I, what I see from some folks is this sort of this individualism that I think can be harmful, which is why at the end campaign, we're, we're so insistent on, on the idea that you could be faithful or unfaithful no matter where you are across the spectrum, that, that actually the way you identify yourself politically is not a stamp of approval or stamp of faithfulness in and of itself. It's, it's actually like so many things with Jesus about the orientation of your heart and with, and with your actual actions, that there is no sort of political moniker that you can take on that, alt, that immediately signifies to the world, hey, I'm, 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 I'm faithful. Um, it's just not as easy as that. Uh, it's it's there is no shortcut here, um, and so so that that's what I, I'd say, Justin. I, I'm really um, th- this sort of take um, a beyond the team take side stuff uh, strikes me as uh, you know a form of political hobbyism, a form of sort of. Uh, folks who frankly have watched like too many episodes of the West wing, <laughs> you know, too many episodes, like be, be honest being, being you. So, so just one more thing I'd say, which is, and we, we, face this at the end campaign. Sometimes people will say, uh, you know, people will want, want us to say what, what they want us to say when they want us to say it, even if we said it, two days earlier, or we're planning to say it two days from now. Right. Uh, and they'll say, oh, if you're really being honest, uh, if you're really being nonpartisan, uh, then in your statement on X, you would have mentioned Y. And it's it's like, no, this, is, this was a statement on X. Uh, I'm not a marionette. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say what you want me to say when I want uh, to say it. Um, uh, uh, and when we talk about Y, we're not going to talk about X. 
Um, and so, yeah, just there are just so many games that get played, and uh, folks have to be for individuals listening. I would say this. Be open to constructive criticism. Uh, you know, it, it's not a good thing to shelter yourself off or wall yourself off from any sort of criticism of sort of how you approach things. But there is a certain extent to which uh, when the criticism moves into the category of manipulation, th- there is a there is a, a place where, uh, where, where, where if you're surrounding yourself by good counsel, diverse counsel, uh, then you're just going to have to accept that people aren't going to be happy with your politics at some point because they're not happy with your politics. And it has, you know, if it's not a question of faithfulness, it's not a question. Of, it's a question of you not saying what people want you to say when they want you to say it. But but Justin, that's that's all I I have to offer. Uh, I, I wonder if you have any any thoughts on that. No, I thought that's a good word, man. I I, I I agree with you in that being a centrist also is not virtuous or thoughtful in itself. Right. And, and so you do see some of that kind of virtue signal, signaling through centrism. Uh, so I so I give people that. And, and here's and you make an excellent point about where the and campaign stands. Let me just uh, elaborate on that. Uh, the and campaign will continue to challenge both sides. Uh, and it's not because uh, we're trying to find some squishy middle ground that pleases everyone, because we've been in this game long enough to know that that pleases no one and it gets nothing <laughs> done we know better than that. Yeah. Thank you. But. We'll critique both sides because whether or not they're equivalent, which they're not on on any given issue, they both have serious flaws that compromise human dignity. That's why we do it. Uh, I'll choose a political party in many instances, but I cannot in good faith overlook what progressives do just because I think conservatives are worse today. I will not overlook what conservatives do just because I think uh, progressives are worse today. That's not that's not what's going to happen. So a lot of people just have to understand that it's tough. And some yes. folks just have to accept the fact that the political arena is too complicated to just choose a side and not question or have any critique of what that side is doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, being a centrist, again, like you said, does not mean that you don't take positions on serious issues. If anybody thinks that's what being a centrist is and you call yourself a centrist, that's wrong. Right. If you if you question whether the and campaign takes positions, just read our our and campaign 2020 presidential election statement. You know, our positions are clear on voting rights, clear on poverty, clear on health care, clear on abortion, clear on religious liberty and so on. Uh, You even hear some people saying, well, Jesus took clear positions. Let me say this. Jesus (laughs) took clear positions for the poor and the marginalized. Yes. But anyone who suggests that he would give an unqualified endorsement to a political party or that he sided with a certain uh, social group unconditionally is doing some terrible exegesis. I'll push it back to you, Mike. No, I I, I have nothing to add to that. I think that's exact. That's exact. Right. That's exact. Right. Especially that last comment, which is yes, Jesus took the side of the poor. Jesus did not put a stamp of religious dogma on, uh, exactly what wages should be paid <laughs> on, on exactly what, what, uh, what taxes should be levied. Uh, and we gotta be, we just gotta be really careful. And we say this often on this, we gotta be really careful about putting the stamp of religious dogma and authority on particular policy positions that we may feel 
are motivated by our faith, but certainly are not equivalent to mm. our faith. That, that, and it's important to keep that that, that in mind. I, I don't have anything to add. We wanted to unpack that. I, I would urge folks to uh, you know keep some of these things in mind over the next seven weeks. It's um, uh, obviously I think they're relevant, increasingly relevant, just generally in our politics with how things are like th- these issues aren't going to go away no matter who wins the election. But over the next seven weeks, there's just going to be. Uh, a whole p- people's nerves are going to be on end, and uh, there's going to be a whole lot of pressure. And again, you want to be open to constructive criticism, but uh, but but people will have you feeling burdened no matter which which way you go, no matter uh, sort of how open you're trying to be. And so the best thing you could do is have just some good counsel around you. Be aware of what your blind spots might be, but don't let people sort of uh, tell you that if you're not on their agenda. Then, uh, then, then there's dishonesty going on, or uh, you're sort of uh, uh, betraying the cause, etc. Um, th- that's that's just gamesmanship that that we don't need to be a party of. Love it. Well, as usual, Ann Camp, that is the end of this uh, episode. Uh, we all know that there is a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressive progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ and camp. Until next time.